Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Romans, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. There was a preacher who had moved away from the truth of the gospel And he told this story to his congregation to explain his outlook on Christianity. The story was this. The story is about a frog who fell into a pail of milk and he got stuck and he couldn't climb out. And so he did the only thing that he could do. He just kept paddling around and around and around hoping that he could be rescued. And as he paddled around, something amazing took place. His paddling churned the milk to butter from which he was able to launch himself out. And the moral of the story, listen, and the point of the pastor's message was, just keep paddling, just keep working, just doing your best, and you will make it. Well, I read that story and I thought about this, how sad it is, listen, saints, how many people have that same mentality, how many people have the same philosophy, and unfortunately, even in the church, how many people have this philosophy or mentality That if I just keep on paddling, if I'm just good enough, if I keep doing my best, and I keep on working, I'll get to heaven. Well, if you've been with us in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, you know by now that Paul has completely destroyed the fallacy that the way to get to heaven is by paddling out your own righteousness. If you knew that, say amen. Amen. Uh, Paul's made that very, very, very clear. That no amount of good works will make you right before God. No one's going to heaven based on good works. It's all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And last week, were you with us to explain and to make that point clear? He turns to the Old Testament saint Abraham. Romans chapter 4, why don't you look at it right about verse 3 and 4. Paul makes it clear that Abraham's righteousness did not come from his good works, but from his belief in God. It was righteousness obtained by faith. Abraham believed God. Notice in verse 3. Notice it doesn't say Abraham behaved. Amen. It says that Abraham believed God. And it was Abraham's belief in God that was accounted to him for righteousness. So last week, if you were with us, Paul used the Old Testament saint, Father Abraham... To illustrate that no man could be exalted in receiving salvation. Are you listening? Last week's point that Paul was making. That no man should be exalted in receiving salvation. Like as if Abraham had done something. But beginning in verse 6. Now Paul uses the Old Testament sinner, King David, to illustrate No man need be excluded from salvation. 
Last week he said no man should be exalted. This week he's going to tell us that no man need be excluded from salvation. Romans chapter 4, saints we pick up in verse 5. And we'll just go ahead and knock out some time and read right on through verse 12. Romans chapter 4, verse 5, if you're looking at it, say amen. amen. To him who works, or who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes, underline that word, righteousness, apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, in verse 7, and whose sins are covered. That's good news, saints. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we, circle that, say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Well, how then was it accounted? Question. While he was circumcised or what saints uncircumcised question not while circumcised but while what uncircumcised and he received a sign of circumcision a sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed, reckoned, accounted to them also. And the father of circumcision, to those who not only are of the circumcision, but every person who also walks in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had, while still uncircumcised. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Lord, help me. Let me try to summarize this quickly. What we have here in Romans, if you've been with us, I hope that you're getting this. What we have here in Romans, particularly chapter 4, is the purest understanding of the topic of grace found in the Bible. It's the purest understanding. It's pure Grace, without touching it, without human works, without man's intervention, Paul is giving us a pure understanding of grace. Now, please don't make the mistake of thinking Paul is talking about cheap grace or greasy grace. Amen. As if I can do whatever I want to do, and all I have to do is come back and say, God, forgive me, and I get grace. So I go out and I send it up. That God will pour out grace upon me. Well, that's cheap grace. I call it greasy grace. Just do whatever I want. Just slip and slide and pull it. Slip and slide and pull it. Now, that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul has never talked about cheap grace because grace wasn't cheap. It was free, but it wasn't cheap. It cost the Lord everything. And legalistic people, I'll tell you something, they can't even handle this whole topic of grace. A lot of churches are afraid to teach the topic of grace. One guy came to me right after service. He had tears in his eyes. He says, I've been listening to this topic of grace, and I've been, this was today, and I've been a Christian for 20 years, he said. He said, and I never understood grace. He said, as a matter of fact, when I started hearing about grace, I started to see how legalistic I was. He told me, he said, I, I knew a lot about the Bible. 
He says, if you said, told me something, I could quote you chapter and verse. If you did something wrong, I could tell you where you were wrong, chapter and verse. He said, but now I've come to learn about this thing of grace. It really isn't about the head. It's about what I know in my heart and how I take what's in the head and apply it to my heart and apply it to people. That's grace, folks. Isn't that wonderful? That's so great. Because I'm like, Lord, thank you. Somebody's listening. (laughs) They're getting it. And I'm happy about that. Some churches are are afraid to teach grace because they think people are going to go out and sin it up. They think that if you teach grace, some pastors, they think if you teach grace, then you're giving the people permission to sin when you're not. In fact, listen, when you teach grace, you know what happens? The chains begin to fall off. When you teach grace, to whom the Son sets free is what? Free Thank you. When you teach grace, people just start getting set free. And all of a sudden they go, man, I was weighted down. Dang, I didn't even realize it. I was all heavy and deep. And I looked like I'd been sucking on lemons because I was holy. <laughs> you know, and... And, and, and now I'm, I'm learning about grace, and, and, and now I'm understanding that I'm not really free to go and sin. As a matter of fact, I love grace so much, and I'm appreciative of what God has done for me, that I don't now want to sin. I want to be holy, because I completely understand grace. Now I, I don't want to sin. I don't want to hurt the heart of God. Now I want to walk with God and I want to stay close to God because I am free in Christ. And he has set me free from the power of sin. Amen. I'm going to wait. That's all right. Thank you, Lord. You should be happy about that. We're set free. You don't have to sin. Mr. And Mrs. Christian, listen. Well, you know, I just couldn't help myself. No, 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 the devil didn't make you do it. That was Flip Wilson. (laughs) Devil can't make the Christian do anything. We have the power of God. We've been set free. We've experienced the grace of God. This is what Paul, this is kind of the heart of what Paul is trying to get to. You understand? This is kind of the white space, if you will. You got the verse and you got the white space. Okay, what are we talking about here? Paul's talking about grace. It's pure grace with no human fingerprint to even touch it. And so Abraham, Paul says, was justified by grace through faith. And that was a part from works. You should pick up last week's CD. And now this morning, Paul uses King David who knew what it was like to be a guilty sinner and how great it felt to be forgiven. And so Paul, look at verse 7 in your Bibles. He quotes from David as David in verse 6 and 7 describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes. That, that is the word reckoned or accounts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes Psalm 32. You might want to go ahead and write Psalm 32 in verse 7. Right by verse 7. Psalm 32. Because David quoted. David said that. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Now give me your attention. Are you familiar with 2 Samuel? Are you listening? Are you familiar with 2 Samuel chapter 11? Right and chapter 12 actually. It's in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. It's the spring of the year. And it is war season. 
The men are out to battle there in chapter 11. You just look it up in your own time. But the men are out to battle, and King David has decided to stay behind to chill out. Well, one day, David decides to go for a walk on the roof, and he notices kind of out of his peripheral, on the lower roof, there's a woman taking a bath. And the Bible tells us that she is of good appearance exceedingly. In the Hebrew language, she is fine. It's in the Hebrew. It really is, just like that. Fine. Kind of gets way up there. And, and, and the Bible tells us, are you listening, that David lost touch with reality. And he forgot that he was the king. He forgot that he was a man after God's own heart. And that he was the ruler over the people. And the Bible tells us that he slept with her and she got pregnant. And she was married to a man named Uriah. And David tried to cover himself. So he had Uriah come out of the forefront of the battle and try to schmooze up to him. Try to get him a drink and eat so that he would then go sleep with his wife to cover up David's sin. Uriah was a godly man. Uriah was a man of integrity, a man of character. And he said, I can't go into my wife while the other guys are out in the field fighting. I'm going to sleep at the door. He never went into his wife. David realized, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> and so he had Uriah sent back out to the battle, put him in the forefront of the battle where he would most likely be killed. And David committed murder and had Uriah killed. Well, the Bible goes on to tell us it was eight months after the sin with Bathsheba that the Lord sent, remember Nathan the prophet, to tell David a little story. And Nathan the prophet, are you listening, came to David's house and said, David, it's a horrible injustice in your kingdom. I need to tell you about it. David took a seat on the throne and he said, what's up? And Nathan said, there's a man who is wealthy and has a lot of flocks and sheep. And there was a poor man who had one little ewe lamb. And that little ewe lamb played with the family, kids. Kids used to sleep with it. Kids named it. The little ewe lamb, king, was a part of this man's family. He was a family member. And the rich guy, he went on to tell him, the rich guy took the one little ewe lamb by force. And Nathan said, what do you think ought to be, what, what ought to be done? King David, and David clenched his fists and his face contorted, his veins popped out, and he got angry. And he said, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And Nathan said, you the man. You're busted. And I'm sure David probably said, well, you know, on second thought, maybe you shouldn't die. Because your sin always looks more awful on somebody else, doesn't it? The man has done his thing shall surely die. Well, David then, the Bible goes on to tell us, he immediately confessed his sin. And Nathan said, David, listen, watch this. Nathan said, David, God has forgiven you. And it was at that time, are you listening, that David wrote Psalm 32 in verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. After his sin with that Bathsheba, David says, a man is blessed to whom God imputes righteousness apart from the law. So what we have, ladies and gentlemen, so far is Abe and Dave both agree 
that God imputes righteousness apart from works. Because if David had been judged on works alone, he would be in hell right now. And every single one of us in this room, if God judged us based on our works, we would be in hell right now. But God doesn't. God imputes. God accounts. God reckons righteousness to our account. Well, then in verse 9, David goes on to say, or pardon me, Paul goes on to ask the question. Was this blessedness that Abraham received for the Jews only? Or is it also for the Gentiles? And then he said, we. I had you circle that because Paul says the we refers to the Jewish rabbis who agreed that righteousness was given to Abraham because he believed by God. He believed by faith. And then he asked the question, when was Abraham justified by faith? Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, when he believed in the Lord. And when was Abraham circumcised? Genesis chapter 17 verse 22 through 27 Several years after he was justified, Abraham was circumcised. Ishmael would have been about 13 years old at that time. Was God accounting question? Was God accounting to Abraham righteousness as a circumcised man or before he was circumcised? And Paul says, no, not while he was circumcised, but while he was a pagan worshiping Gentile, he was uncircumcised and God accounted to him righteousness. Now you got to understand something. The Talmud, the Jewish writings, they said a Jew wasn't allowed to come to the Passover without the mark of Abraham in his flesh. Rabbinic teaching in Paul's day said if a Jew turned away from the living God Yahweh and turned back to idols, get this things, this is shocking, that the Jew was going to be lost And sent to hell, and that God would remove his circumcision before him, from him, before he places him in hell. In other words, they believe that God would put the skin back on a Jew before he sent them to hell. Listen, the Jew worshipped circumcision. Worship circumcision. So Paul is saying, listen, Abraham was a man of faith. David was a man of faith. So if it's faith that justifies, is it only for the Jew or for all people? That's what we just read. So Abraham was declared righteous before God by faith years before circumcision ever came into the picture. 430 years before the law was given. Notice in verse 11 in your Bible, go ahead and look at it. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness. In other words, saints, listen, circumcision was an outward sign of an inward reality. Circumcision was a sign of the justifying faith that Abraham already had. It was a sign of faith, not a substitute for it. Just like baptism is an outward sign, audience participation, an outward sign of a inward reality. In other words, just because you are baptized or circumcised, in the Jewish case, It doesn't mean you're automatically going to heaven. These things are outward signs of something that has already taken place. And if you have been baptized and you have not had that inward reality, are you listening? If you've been baptized but you had not had that inward reality, then the only thing you got was wet. (laughs) 
Somebody say amen. Because the inward reality is more important than the outward sign. And this is a point that Paul is getting to. Paul says every Gentile that walks in the steps of Abraham in verse 12, look at it in your Bibles. Every Gentile that walks in the steps of Abraham and every Jew who walks in the steps of Abraham are justified by faith. Now look at verse 13. If you're looking at it, say amen. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to what saints? Grace. So that the promise might be sure to all very important. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed. And not only to those who are of the law. But also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all. As it is written. I have made past tense. You a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead. And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. So that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in the faith, verse 19, he did not consider his own body already dead around 99. Since he was about 100, 99, 100, same thing. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced, verse 21, that what he had promised, read it with me, saints, he was also able to perform. Stop right there. Give me your attention. Paul says, if you become an heir of God because you keep the law, then faith is made void. Simple as that. In other words, the law doesn't need faith, it needs works. And if the promise of salvation was of the law, then faith is useless. But it's by grace, through faith, it's undeserved, and it's unearned. And then in verse 16, look at it in your Bibles, Paul says, God imputes righteousness by faith so that the promise might stand. In other words, God removed the law so the promise might be sure. Because if the law were involved, there would be no certainty of the promise of God. You can get up tomorrow morning. And by 10 o'clock, you will be on your way to hell. Just trying to help you all out here. I mean, think about it. As soon, the first person that cuts you off on the 40, you will be on your way to hell. Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The law deals with the issues of the heart. The law is about the heart. So if you've ever lusted in your heart, then you're going to hell. So listen, the reason God's promise is sure, get this saints, the reason God's promise is sure is because it depends on grace and not the law. Because it depends on being undeserved and unearned. That's why God's promise is sure. God's promise is not sure because you will do the right thing. 
Because as I said, tomorrow morning you will get up, and for some of y'all, maybe not by 10, probably around 6. As soon as you open your eyes, you'll do the wrong thing. You understand? So God's promise is sure, not because of what you do, but because of grace. Notice in verse 17, as it is written, I have made, that's past tense, you a father of many nations. God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, listen to me. I'm trying. This verse, God calls those things that be not as though they were. If you have ever heard that verse quoted, raise your hand, would you? Good. That is a good number of you. I have heard this verse so misquoted, so taken out of context, it's sickening. I have never heard it in its context, to tell you the truth. I don't think I ever have. God calls those things which be not as though they were. People love to quote that verse because they'll tell you, hey, you know what? Let me tell you something. If you've got a low checking account balance, the things that be not money, God calls those things that be not as though they were. You just got to believe it, receive it, name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it, and those things will be. Your checking account be full. Call those things with be not. Well, I live in the projects. As though they were, God going to take you from the projects to Preston. Because <laughs> you call those things with be not. And don't misunderstand me, saints, listen to me close. I am happy that God calls those things that be not as though they were. Because that is why God can say, Rodney, you're justified. Saints, you're sanctified. Saints, you're glorified. God can call the things that had not happened yet as though they were because he is God. I'm happy about that. Somebody needs to say amen. I'm happy about that. That God can look at me and say, Roddy, you're justified, sanctified, and glorified. I've not yet been glorified. I'm not in heaven. I'm here. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.